I, I heard this story uh, from a pastor, similar idea. He, he had this toy car for his son, and, and he was pushing his son all around in this thing. And then, like, weeks after his back was in pain and everything, he lifted up, up the lid and realized that there was a battery inside. And the whole time, it, he could have just been going. So reminded me of that story. But, you know, I, I believe that so far as we've gone through this series, that our intentions, what we endeavored to accomplish here uh, in these midweek gatherings has been fulfilled, which is that we would have a foundational awareness of the Holy Spirit's power and presence in our life um, and in our church that we would understand, as I said at the beginning, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Uh, we don't live by power or by might, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. And that, that was what we wanted to see. It's like, even as we sang in that song this, uh, this evening, that let us become more aware of your presence. Has that happened, church? Good. I hope it has happened, and I hope that it would increase as we would continue to walk together in the spirit of God, in the spirit of love, in the spirit of unity, and see what God's going to do in us. And so um, what we're seeing really is the kingdom of God forming in us and all around us. And, you know, during this entire series, uh, the kids have been upstairs also learning about the Holy Spirit, and they have been learning about the fruits of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5. And, you know, Jesus said that we could learn a lot about the kingdom of God from children. And so I thought, hey, if they've been studying the fruits of the Spirit, I think that's where we should begin our study tonight. So if you would, open your Bible to Galatians chapter 5. Uh, that is where we read about this idea of walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, and also the place where we discover what the fruits of the Spirit are. So uh, just really excited as we begin Galatians chapter 5 to see all that this means. Have your Bibles ready because we're going to be going to various other places in the Scriptures tonight. But let me pray. Let's just ask the Holy Spirit to lead our time and then we'll read from Galatians chapter 5 starting in verse 16. So Lord, we love you. We thank you, God, for this uh, month that we have gathered together, for the fellowship that we have had with one another, but even more, God, the fellowship that we've had with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God, we ask for a greater awareness of your power and your presence in our lives. God, that we would be able to flip that switch and live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, and not gratify the desires of the flesh. So help us to see from your word today. Um, speak to us through your word. If we want to know what the Holy Spirit's voice sounds like, I think we're going to hear it just by simply reading your word tonight, Lord. So we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, the Apostle Paul writes, But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For they are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, as Christians, we live with two essential parts of our being. We have the spirit and we have the flesh. And the spirit is that part of our being that is meant to be drawn toward God. And the flesh is that part of our being that is drawn toward sin because of the fall. 
And, and we know the gospel, right, that Jesus came in the flesh, but that he himself was never drawn into sin, and he showed us what a life being drawn to God really looks like. And so the gospel is that we see that we can have a relationship with God where sin and the flesh has been dealt with by what Jesus did in his flesh at the cross. And then, since he promised the Holy Spirit as our helper, that we can now live a life that is drawn to God, that has a desire for God. Now, Paul was writing this letter of Galatians to the region of Galatia, and they had quickly turned from the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they had turned to some other false teachings. They had begun in the spirit, but that now they were seeking to be perfected by the flesh. They were running well, but somebody hindered them from obeying the truth. Somebody had cut into their lane, if you will, from walking in the path of the gospel. Now, there was a group of teachers, false teachers at that time, in the region of Galatia, and they were called the circumcision party, which doesn't sound like a fun party to be involved with on <laughs> any kind of level, right? <laughs> they were saying and teaching that a man needed to be circumcised if he wanted to be accepted by God, and they were teaching many other works-based doctrines where the, the gospel is that we are saved by grace through faith, not of any works, not even the work of circumcision. And, and so Paul's writing to get this church to turn back to the true gospel, to correct these issues and to get them looking back to the simple gospel that Jesus Christ died on a cross and to begin to walk by the Spirit again. Now, there are two main errors that threatened the early church and was threatening, say, the church in Galatia, the church in Corinth, and these are often the errors that will take us away from the gospel, that will take us out of walking in the spirit, and I would call these errors legalism and licentiousness. Legalism and licentiousness, two equal and opposite errors. Legalism is the idea that God is an angry taskmaster. And if you don't obey God perfectly, then he's gonna come down really hard on you. Whereas licentiousness is the idea that God is just super easygoing, you know? And you can live however you want because if you blow it, God's just gonna forgive you, it's fine. That's, I mean, isn't that what he's really there for? Just to forgive you when you sin? But we don't want either of those. We wanna stand in the grace of God. We wanna walk by the Holy Spirit so that we could live a life that is pleasing to God, and let's be honest, is also pleasing to us. And we are not bound by the law, and we are not bound by sin. We are now bound by love because of the sacrificial death of Jesus. Therefore, what we get to do by the gospel is we get to keep God's commandments because we love him and, and we know that his commandments are not burdensome and they're not burdensome because we have the power of God enabling us to follow them. What God calls us to do or commands us to do, he also enables us to do. So there's this new way of relating to God where we can now obey God in the spirit and not by the law. Now, 
This whole new of relate, way of relating to God was promised to the Jews in the Old Testament. The prophet Ezekiel uh, gave this promise of the new covenant in Ezekiel 36, verse 26 to 27. It says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. That is the promise of the new covenant in the spirit, which is so much better than the old covenant of the law. And Paul knew this quite well personally. And it was writing to the church in Galatia to remember that we are to begin in the spirit and we're to continue in the spirit. We're not to perfect ourselves by the law. Now, Paul used those words in Galatians 5.16, walk by the spirit to describe the kind of life that we are to have with God. It is the new covenant promise that God dwells in us. He lives inside you, which means that wherever you go, he goes with you. And and he is the one that is supposed to be leading you. Now, God put his spirit within you, and that reality is going to be shown in the fact that now you're able to follow the commandments of God in a way that you were never able to before. You see, God saves you so that you can live a saved life. God saved you so you can live a saved life. Remember who saved you, by the way. God did. God who is Father, God who is Son, and God who is Holy Spirit. The Father planned the work of your salvation. The Son accomplished the work of your salvation. And the Holy Spirit applies the work of your salvation So that means that when God saved you, because you made a confession of faith that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and died on a cross and was buried and rose again, and you made that confession, the greatest miracle happened. You received the Holy Spirit of God in you. He now dwells in you. You are born again. You are indwelt by the Spirit of God. Now, the Holy Spirit is there to help us to live a life that is worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And the Holy Spirit is there to give you these new desires that you're going to live for God and not for yourself. So we look at our lives. By the way, is there anyone who that has not happened for before? And today, you just heard the gospel because I want to start this message by giving just the clear and simple gospel. That was it right there. If you've been trying to live your life by your own strength and you just heard that there's a promise of salvation that God offers to you where God can come and dwell in you and you can live a life that is pleasing to God and will also please you. And if there's anyone who wants to receive that right now, I'd love to lead you in a prayer of salvation. Is there anyone here? Okay, good. I just want to make sure that I'm talking to believers now. All right, fantastic. So, I'm just assuming now for the rest of this message that all of you guys understand that you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Where's the Holy Spirit? He's in you. 
<laughs> right? He's in you. This means, right, that my heart is as soft as flesh. It means that I walk in his statutes and I'm careful to obey his rules. It means that I live fully and completely for God in everything I think, everything I say, and everything I do. It means that I desire God above all else. That's really easy to do, isn't it? Yeah? Okay. Not that easy. Why? Because we understand that we still have competing desires within us. Anyone who has been saved knows that being saved actually increases the awareness that there is a war of desires going on within you. Amen? And that you need God's constant help if you're going to be holy as he is holy. You cannot do it alone. So I don't, I don't think I need to spend a great deal of time with this crowd, considering that we're believers, trying to convince you that even though you have been saved by Jesus Christ, you still are going to struggle with desire for sin over desire for God. Are there not times in our lives, Christians, when it gets hard to follow Jesus and when our hearts, our hearts get hard and we do not obey God? Like, am I the only one that struggles? Am I the only one who has competing desires that are warring within my innermost being? Where I want to walk by the Holy Spirit, but my flesh is weak? Am I the only one? Okay, good. Good. Now, that struggle that I think we can all resonate with is often met with one of two responses. We either cover up the struggle with legalism or we give in to the struggle with licentiousness. Neither is the appropriate response for the battle of the spirit and the flesh that is within you. In order to have the desire of your flesh be overtaken by the desire of the spirit, we must walk by the spirit, Paul says. Walking by the Spirit is actually the only way that you can live the Christian life. There is no other way to walk in holiness than by walking with the Holy Spirit. So, I like that Paul uses the metaphor of walking to describe what life in the Spirit looks like. Because walking is part of our everyday life, isn't it? It is. Sometimes when we're walking, it just sort of happens, and we don't really think about it actively. We're just, we just walk. Other times, we need to be very intentional about how we are walking. But we walk all the time, every day. We wake up in the morning. We swing our legs over the side of the bed. We walk to the bathroom. We walk down the stairs and grab ourselves a cup of coffee, and that is like a very dangerous period of time because anything could happen in that moment. You could fall down the stairs, right? Once you get your coffee, you're good. Then you go for maybe a little morning exercise walk, a little bit of a longer walk, right? Then you, then you go throughout your day. Maybe you, you go to your job and you're walking throughout the office. And then you come home and then you take your dog for a walk. By the way, I like dogs, you guys. I don't own one, but 
I like dogs. So funny, I preached last week and then my mom brought her dog for the weekend to our house. <clears throat> now, then we walk to the grocery store. We, we end a long day where we walk to the couch and we sit down and relax and then we eventually walk to bed and we go to sleep and then we wake up the next day and in some form or some variation of all that, it repeats itself again. We walk all the time. From morning until evening, we walk throughout our daily activities. So what Paul is saying is, do that by the Spirit. Do all of that by the Spirit. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, at the most basic level of what this verse is telling us is that walking by the Spirit will be a life that is marked by purity and holiness. Where the desires of the flesh are no longer being gratified like they were when you were a slave to sin. You remember that time, don't you? Where you used to do whatever seemed right in your own eyes, but now you want to do what seems right in God's eyes. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus now. You have been given new desires, and your desires can ultimately only be fulfilled by what the Holy Spirit offers. You have new and better desires that are to take place of your old desires. In fact, the best way, Christian, that you can get rid of sinful desire is to find a better desire. One Puritan called this the expulsive power of a new affection. To have a new desire, a new affection, and there can be no greater desire than to have a desire for God. And when you have a true, longing, lasting desire for God, it is going to expel sin from your life because you have better desire. You know, when you're, maybe you didn't, eat that extra piece of pizza because you knew there was dessert, right? So you're like, well, I'm not gonna eat the extra piece of pizza because there's a brownie, and a brownie is better than the extra piece of pizza, right? We see this all the time as we walk throughout our daily life. God is going to be the better desire, the ultimate desire that we can follow. Now, verse 17 says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So Paul is affirming what we all feel going on within us. And he goes into greater detail in Romans chapter 7, which by the way, if you haven't read that chapter in a while, I just suggest you go and Read it again, because what it describes is this war that is going on within our innermost being, that, that, and that at the end of it all, we understand that deliverance and victory can only come through Jesus Christ. He is the only way to freedom. So if you're a follower of Jesus, again, I don't think I need to convince you of the reality that there's a struggle going on inside of you. You know it well enough. But I wanna read to you the next verses so that we can see, as Paul lays out, what a life that is marked by the flesh looks like and what a life that is marked by the Holy Spirit looks like. So 
Look at verses 19 through 21 to see what a life of the flesh looks like. Verse 19 says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Don't you like these? In things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul gives 15 sins listed there, and I love how he says that. In things like these, just in case one of them didn't get you, you know? But as I look at the description of walking in the flesh, listen, I have been guilty of about 80% of those sins at one point in my life, and some of those things I am still tempted to do and at times may stumble in. So Paul says, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So does that mean that I'm condemned in my sin because I have done those things? No, because I've been saved. I've been set free by Jesus. He doesn't say those who have done these things he says those who do these things, that is a continual and ongoing and unrepentant kind of way. If you walk in these sins of the flesh, these works of the flesh, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You could say that those who do not have eternal life are those who walk in these works of the flesh. But we are not those who walk in the flesh. We are those who walk by the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. And he does, doesn't he? You have confidence before God that he dwells in you? How do you have that confidence? You probably have that confidence because you see the fruit of the Spirit coming forth in your life. This is the life that marks you, verses 22 to 25. But the fruit of the Spirit, the 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 growth, the, the produce, the, the life, the fruit that's gonna come out of your life because the Spirit of God dwells in you is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So if the Spirit of God does indeed dwell in you, then these nine fruits will be manifest in your life. There's been a putting off on the flesh and a putting on of the Spirit. There has been a change in the allegiance of your desires. You have died with Christ, having crucified the flesh with its passions and desires for sinful behavior. Your old nature is now dead and crucified with Christ. The not life you now live, you live by faith in the Son of God. You are now dead to sin and alive to God. The life you now live, you live by faith, by walking in the Holy Spirit. Is that you? Amen. But we still have our flesh, don't we? See, our old nature is dead, but our flesh isn't dead. Our flesh is still there, and there's this ongoing battle. 
where your flesh is always wanting to get in the way of the work of the Spirit. Our flesh does not always want to keep in step with the Spirit, does it? Our flesh wants to be the one that leads, but the Spirit is the one that is meant to lead. And so verse 25 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The idea of keeping in step with the Spirit is the idea of being in lockstep. Marching to the same beat. You know in those games where you tie your ankle to somebody else's ankle? It's like that. Only we're not tied because at times we might get off pace with the Spirit and we need to walk with the Spirit. We have a will and He has a will and we need those wills to match up. We need to understand that to be walking in the Spirit means that we are to be united with Him, where, meaning that where He goes, we go. When He stops, we stop. When He moves fast, we move fast. When he moves slow, we move slow. When he's grieved, we're grieved. When he rejoices, we rejoice. We're in lockstep with him. And this requires that we would have a developed sense of intimacy with the Holy Spirit, which we'll get to more on that in just a little bit. Now, Romans chapter eight says very much the same thing that Paul also says in Galatians five. Romans eight is, Um, a very, comes after that very relatable description in Romans 7. You guys know where Paul says, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. Oh, what a wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And we discover the reason why is because there is the law of sin still within us, but we have been delivered from the law of sin by Jesus, and we are no longer under the law. We are led by the Spirit. Remember, because Galatians 5.18 said that plainly, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You're not under the law. You are led by the Spirit because the Spirit of God is leading you. Now, here's what I want to do next. Because the word of God will always be able to communicate better than any way that I'll ever be able to communicate this reality of the spirit of God dwelling in the Christian, Romans chapter eight puts it in the most profound words that I have spent my my Christian life trying to plummet the depths of it, and every time I read it, it still gets me. And I'm sure you've heard Romans 8 so many times, but let me just read a good portion of Romans chapter 8 and let it wash over you anew. Just just listen, maybe even close your eyes as I read to you Romans chapter 8 to, to realize that if we've been freed from the law of sin and death and we have the spirit of God dwelling in us, then this is, what's, this is the reality of what we get to live in. Romans 8, starting in verse 1, says... Listen very intently to this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. 
in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. My goodness. Did you see it? I hope you saw it. I hope you sensed it. The freedom that this brings, the power that this brings, when you realize that the Spirit of God dwells in you so that you can live a life pleasing to God. Now, we hear all of this truth, and, and this, this tells us a lot about our position in Christ, but I want to get down to some practical level of this truth that we've, we've seen tonight of what it means to walk by the Spirit. Because daily living's hard, is it not? And walking by the Spirit, what, what does that really look like? And, and I want to just give five practical points, five tips on walking by the Spirit. Less theology, just more practical, practical things. You ready for that? You still all with me? Yeah. All right. Practical point number one. The Holy Spirit leads you to holiness. Now, the first thing we see about walking by the Holy Spirit is he's going to lead you to holiness. He's going to lead you to purity because we've been redeemed by Jesus to live godly lives in him. So the Holy Spirit will never lead you to works of the flesh. Nobody can ever say, the Holy Spirit led me to sexual immorality. No one can ever say, the Holy Spirit led me toward division. The Holy Spirit will always lead you into truth and into greater Christ-likeness. Now, you might be wondering why so far, so much of this teaching that we've looked at this, this evening has been about our character and our conduct. And, and about the way that we live in holiness. But, but like, what about the miracles? We're talking about walking by, the, what about the miracles? What about the spectacular occurrences that we see in the book of Acts? Isn't that what Paul means when he says walk by the Holy Spirit? Listen, that's included. Jesus said, signs will follow those who believe. And we see the works of God happening 
in the church, in the early church. We even see the works of God happening into the church today. Spectacular events will occur by God's power and spirit that will just leave us in awe and wonder. And it's so good when we see just God do something that is supernatural. But look, walking is a process, not an event. Clearly, there are events There will be moments and times where God will empower you and there will be these spectacular, supernatural things that'll happen in your life which began when your name was written in the book of life and you were born again. That's the greatest miracle that's ever happened. But look, the normative Christian life is predominantly a process. It's a walk. It's a walk in holiness. It's a walk in greater Christ-likeness. And along the way, we will experience these great outpourings of the Spirit where spectacular events will happen. But Christianity is a long haul, and it's a process, and it's a process toward holiness. Practical point number two, walking by the Spirit will be both natural and supernatural ordinary and spectacular, mundane and just awe-inspiring. See, the Holy Spirit is with us in everything, and if he dwells in you, then he goes with you in everything. See, there's this idea also picked up by the Puritans, this idea of practicing the presence of God, and the idea is that the Holy Spirit goes with you everywhere. And when we learn to cultivate the awareness of his presence in our daily activity, that's when there's greater intimacy, which means that we're not to separate categories of our lives with the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit's with you when you brush your teeth, right? That when you step into the shower, the Holy Spirit's with you. Cultivate that awareness. Practicing the presence of God when you're driving your kids from one practice to another, and things are heating up and you want to light them up. Practice the presence of the Holy Spirit. When when you want to give that scathing comment to your spouse, practice the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's with you. He's in you. He's in the room. Would you say that if you really knew the Holy Spirit was there in the room with you? I love this one song I used to listen to. I don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room. I want to look right at you. I want to speak right to you. Practicing the presence of God means that we do not separate our lives into categories where you've got something that you do at church and another thing you do at home and another thing that you do at work and another thing you do in your entertainment. This whole secular and sacred divide that has been formed in the church is a hindrance to practicing the presence of God in our daily activities, where the Spirit is meant to be with us in all things at all times. That includes the mundane of brushing your teeth and cooking meals and driving your kids. The Holy Spirit is with you in all those moments, and He's with you in the spectacular moments, the awe-inspiring moments the supernatural moments. And I think that this divide can be fueled sometimes by how we read the book of Acts. 
You guys know how sometimes you read the book of Acts and you see all the amazing events that took place in the early church and you're like, why doesn't that happen in my life? And, And I would actually make a little bit of an argument with you on that because the events that are recorded in the book of Acts took place over a 30 year period. Now, miracles happened in the early church, didn't they? But they didn't happen every day. What happened every day was the apostles walked by the Holy Spirit. Some days were travel days. Some days were teaching days. Other days were rest days. Some were tent making days. Other days were in prison. There were days when people got saved and baptized. There were days when demons were cast out. Sometimes they had to say goodbye to the loved ones that died. Then there were days for fun and for laughter and relaxation, for meals and for parties and for naps and for sleepless nights. Because they walked by the Holy Spirit means that the normative way that they lived their lives was that every day they lived and God at various times broke through where supernatural powerful things took place. And this is because God, at various times over the span of 30 years, wanted to just send an extra measure of his power and presence into these events and into these moments. Now, just think about this. If you were to chronicle 30 years of history of any Jesus-loving, Bible-teaching, spirit-filled church, I'm gonna tell you it's gonna look like the book of Acts. I've been a Christian for 17 years. For half of my life, I wasn't a Christian, and the other half of my life, I've been a Christian. And in 17 years of my Christian life, if that were all written out, I think you'd be able to say, that man has walked by the Holy Spirit. And if in my Christian life were compared to the 30 years of the book of Acts, I'm only a little bit past halfway mark for that. And probably so are you. And so I say this to encourage you. Because a lot of Christians get all mopey. And they think that God is not working in their lives. He is, my friend. He's working in your life. As you walk with him daily, you will experience his presence every single day and at times you'll experience his extraordinary power in both the mundane and the supernatural if you let him lead you in both. Walk by the Spirit and in the moment by moment decisions of faithfulness, you know what that's gonna build into? It's gonna build into a life of fruitfulness. Moment by moment decisions of faithfulness build into a life of fruitfulness. If you walk by the Spirit for 30 years of your life, your life will be defined as supernatural. Now I can't say the same thing if you walk by the flesh. So walk by the Spirit. Okay, practical point number three. You guys can see the pace that we're going. I've got a couple more here. The Holy Spirit is going to lead you to make decisions. This is a little bit of my hobby horse lately. The Holy Spirit will lead you to make decisions. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter two.
I want to show you this <clears throat> first because um, because this first tells us that the kind of mind that we have, the mindset that we're to have when we make decisions. Now, start in verse 11, or verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? Okay, let's stop right there. For who knows the person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? Okay, I'm gonna think about something right now and I want you to, somebody to tell me, I'm gonna have Ryan. Ryan, you tell me what I'm thinking about right now. I've done this with you. What am I thinking about right now? No. <laughs> I think you said that last time. I do think about surfing a lot. Mm-mm. Thinking about a tennis ball. I don't know why. Now, you wouldn't know what I was thinking about unless I told you I'm thinking about a tennis ball right now. Because my spirit knows what I'm thinking, and unless my spirit tells you what I'm thinking, you're not going to know what I'm thinking. Let's go back to verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God knows the thoughts of God. Now, we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And if we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, imparting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual, hang in with me, verse 14, the natural person does not accept the Things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is not judged by anyone. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. How do we have the mind of Christ? That connects us back to verse 11. Who can know the thoughts of a person except the spirit of a person? And if the Spirit of God knows the thoughts of God, and if the Spirit of God dwells in you, then you have the thoughts of God, which means you have the mind of Christ. Does that make sense? Okay. Which means that when you make decisions, it's not just with your own mind, but it's with the mind of God. It's with the Spirit's help so that your mind, your will, matches up with His mind and His will. Now, you guys know that the Holy Spirit is called a guide, right? He's the guide. He's not called a map. It's called a guide. And a guide is better than a map. Look, if I, I'm going to uh, Bend, Oregon this week. And if somebody gave me a map of Bend, I could kind of figure out my way and sort of explore some different areas. But if I go with my brother-in-law or my friend who lives in Ben and they guide me in all the places that they have been and all the places that they know about Ben, don't you think that I'm gonna have a much better experience? And in the same way, the Holy Spirit doesn't give you a map and say, figure it out. He is a guide that says, come with me and let's explore all the good things that I wanna show you. And decision-making is part of that process. You have to trust the guide that he is going to lead you. 
And you have to make decisions. You have to get your will to be in line with his will. Now, what happens if you make a wrong turn? He's going to let you know. Guys, he's with you. He's the guide, isn't he? But we want to learn to make decisions that are consistent with his will. Now, many times, people want God to help them in the big decisions of life, don't they? I want to know God's will for my life. What college am I going to go to? Who am I going to marry? All of these kinds of things, right? Big decisions of life. Many times people want God to lead them in the big decisions of life, but they haven't cultivated a life of following him in the littlest of decisions. Prayer, the word of God, godly counsel, and then taking a step, believing that the Holy Spirit will guide you That's how you discern the will of God. That's how you seek the direction of where he wants you to go in life. And I like to say this, it's really hard to park, or it's really hard to steer a parked car. You have to take a step. Walking by the Holy Spirit is not walking if no steps are taken, right? You have to take a step, but but we we get freaked out. What if I take a wrong step? Do you not trust the goodness and faithfulness of God? Are you so uncertain what his will is? Because if you don't know what his will is, you gotta go back to the word again and get acquainted with what a life with God looks like, which is a life of trusting in faith. Also, don't become calloused to the spirit because you've put off so many times his leading and you've become calloused to his conviction and, and Also, don't break away from fellowship. You need people to counsel you and tell you that's a good way that you should go. He will guide you into all truth. Point number four, when the Holy Spirit calls and you need to take a step of faith. This kind of goes in line with the decision making. Look in Acts chapter 13. You guys all still good with me? Okay. Acts 13, and then we're... 0.5 super fast. So it's 0.4. When the Holy Spirit calls, you have to take steps of faith. Acts 13, verse 1 through 3. I love this scripture. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. This was a whole hodgepodge of guys that were together in the church from all different backgrounds, my favorite of them is Manaean, a member of the court of Herod. He was a half-brother of the Herodians. So really gnarly background, came to Christ. You got Saul in there. You got Simeon. You got Barnabas, the son of encouragement. They're in the church at Antioch. And in Antioch, it was just this bustling place of the spirit moving and the church growing. It was the place where Christians were first called Christians, was in the church of Antioch. It became the central hub of of the missions that went forth into the world. And it says in verse two, this is where they're gonna cultivate that understanding of what it looks like to be led by the Spirit. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. Did you see that? The Holy Spirit said. That means the Holy Spirit has a voice. That means the Holy Spirit speaks. How do you think he spoke? Maybe because in the church there were prophets and teachers. Maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking to you tonight because you're being taught. 
Maybe the Holy Spirit's gonna speak to you tonight because somebody's gonna have a word for you. But the Holy Spirit speaks because he has a voice. And this is what he said. You wanna know what he said? He said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. That's it. Set apart for me, like, these two great guys, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, that was the context where they were seeking God, they came to that end, they got up, they made some decisions, they laid hands on them, and they sent them off. They, they said, if the Holy Spirit speaks, we're gonna get up, we're gonna stop praying, we know what he's told us to do, now we're gonna go act upon what he said. And they took a step and they sent him off. And then verse four, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, which means they were walking by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And that was the beginning of the first missionary journey. And there were three missionary journeys and the rest of the book of Acts records the three missionary journeys of Paul and Barnabas and everything that happened throughout it all. That was the beginning of it, where they heard the Holy Spirit's call and they took steps of faith and they went out. Along the way in Acts chapter 16, they came to Derbe and Lystra and uh, when they were there, they, in verse Six of verse 16, chapter 16, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. How in tune do you have to be with the Holy Spirit to know when he says go, and then also to know when he says stop, don't go there. And the apostles seemed to cultivate an ear, a spiritual ear to hear what the Holy Spirit was speaking to the church. How that looks might be through teaching, through prophecy, through circumstances, through just an internal sense of the Spirit's leading within you, and I can't explain that except that you just have to experience what that's like. But none of that happened without them making decisions and taking steps of faith to go forward. We believe that God called our family to Palos Verdes to plant a church. That calling was clear, that calling was confirmed in supernatural ways. And when we were faced with the decision, do we move in the middle of a pandemic? We said, and when it, when it totally was going not according to plan, <laughs> like, ever, like we thought we were gonna have a church planting team and all this kind of stuff, we're gonna do it this way and all the things, and we did everything like the wrong way of what you're supposed to do when you go plant a church. We still came. And we still stepped out in faith, just believing that God would lead us. And every single day, you know what our prayer was? Every day, and still is, Holy Spirit, lead us. And he did. He led me to all of you. And he's led you to here and to us. We've all been led together to be here today to listen to the Holy Spirit and what he's speaking to each and every one of you. I wish I knew what was going on in each individual life in this room. I don't, but the Holy Spirit does. I'm not the Holy Spirit in your life. I'm just hoping that tonight as I got to teach you, that you learn a little bit more of what it's like to cultivate an ear, a spiritual ear to hear what the Spirit is saying. And if you're still confused, the fifth point's gonna clear it all up. You ready? I could have just preached this one point and it would have 
summed up the entire message. Practical point number five. If you want to know what walking by the Spirit looks like, look at the life of Jesus in the Word of God. Then model your life after His. Walking by the Holy Spirit looks like the way that Jesus walked. And the Holy Spirit's voice sounds like the Word of God. So do you want to know what a life that is led by the Holy Spirit ultimately looks like? It's the life of Jesus lived out through you. That's what he's doing. That's where the Holy Spirit's leading. The destination is conformity to the image of Jesus Christ. The only place that the Holy Spirit wants to take you is into the glory and the excellence of Jesus. And however it is, that he gets you there as he guides you and as he leads you through this, man, what can be a struggle of life. He wants to take you there. And he's gonna get you there. Because he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. So let him lead you so that you look more and more like Jesus day by day in his grace, amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you've led us into some truth tonight through the teaching of your word, but thank you, God, that you lead us into all truth. God, if all that truth came to us in one moment, we would be undone. And I know that this teaching may have felt for some like a fire hose, but God, you can just take maybe one thing that was said and it'll just help along the journey to get us looking more like you, Jesus, to getting us ultimately to that eternal dwelling place, your eternal kingdom, where our flesh is forever put off. Sin and death and the devil are forever conquered. And we are with you But God, until then, let us walk by the Spirit. And if we walk by the Spirit, that's a life that pleases you, and it's gonna be a life that pleases us. So Lord, we love you, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna worship for a little while, um, and we're just gonna minister to each other. You learned last week, right, that each person has been given a spiritual gift. And we'll have our pastors on the side to pray for you, but, um, you know, some of the most important ministry time, like the teaching of God's word is a very important ministry time. The worship is a very important ministry time, but you want to know what can be some of the most important time of ministry? I'd say it's the 15 minutes before service. It's the 15 minutes after service when the body of Christ is all together walking in the spirit together, encouraging and ministering one to another in the spirit. Maybe singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, maybe giving words of encouragement, maybe giving prayer, maybe giving help, maybe giving prophetic word, maybe giving something that would edify this church and edify this body. Don't we wanna do that, church? Let's keep walking in that. Let's worship the Lord and uh, see how he moves in our midst and see how he leads our time. And uh, let's 
cultivate a voice in this church to hear what the Holy Spirit speaks. Love you.